right. Hello, and welcome to the Middle East Forum Speaker Webinar Series. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Nick Larigakis, President of the American Hellenic Institute, an American lobby to strengthen ties with Greece and Cyprus, join us to discuss Congress counters Turkey. Mr. Larigakis will speak for 10 to 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box to type, locate at the bottom of your screen to type out your question. And with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Nick Larigakis. Well, thank you, Stacy. It's a pleasure to be here with you and the uh, Middle East Forum. And I'd like to also thank uh, Dr. Daniel Pipes uh, for the warm uh, invitation to be with you here today and to congratulate him for all his fine work and advocacy and bringing awareness to the issues in the Eastern Mediterranean. I've been asked to uh, present a few minutes here as to my opinions as to what all of a sudden has changed the opinions uh, and the posture on Capitol Hill regarding Turkey over the course of the last couple of years in particular, where we've seen certainly a proliferation of legislation and other actions regarding uh, the actions of Turkey and one Mr. Erdogan. But before we do, I think it's important to realize that the area that we're talking about and specifically where Turkey occupies and, and aware of which is being the most uh, egregious in terms of its uh, provocative nature uh, is the Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, and the Eastern Mediterranean, of course, is an area where Greece and Cyprus occupy uh, and where Turkey has been the, the most provocative of all. But this is an area that's very significant for the importance of U.S. geostrategic interests, NATO interests, and overall, of course, Western interests. In addition to being a significant uh, area of, of transit for commerce and energy, uh, it is Greece in particular is also home to uh, the Suda Bay uh, military facilities, which is a plethora of military facilities of which I had an opportunity to visit on many occasions, in addition to which there is a American naval base there as well. To illustrate how important this facility is, we saw Secretary Pompeo on his most recent visit to Greece uh, just about a month ago, go and, and, and pay a visit to this uh, particular facility. So Greece is, and Cyprus, uh, which is equally important for many, many, many reasons. And we've seen an upgrade of the relationship between the United States and Cyprus uh, in terms of defense cooperation and overall uh, elevation of the relationship. And uh, Mr. Secretary Pompeo visited there as well in early uh, September. And Cyprus, of course, uh, has been characterized as, as a stationary aircraft carrier, and of which is only 300 miles uh, off the coast of Cyprus. And of course, the relationship that exists between Greece, Cyprus, and Israel that's been developed in a mutual beneficial way for all parties in the region are exceptionally important. These three countries uh, have, are the frontline states for the promotion of peace and stability in this very turbulent area called the Eastern Mediterranean, where we've, called, we've heard people call the arch of instability from the Libyan coast all the way to the Albanian coast. We have three countries uh, that are democratic in nature, uh, are promoters and supporters of the rule of law and international law, uh, are, have the same values as the United States and the West, and help to project and promote peace and stability in this region. Therefore, it is critically important for this region to remain so, for this and for so much more. But unfortunately, there's an actor here. There's a country called Turkey that continues to be exceptionally 
uh, proactive uh, in terms of its negative posture and provocative nature and which threatens the peace and stability of this very important region. As I stated, and I'll say it over and over again, US geostrategic and Western interest uh, in this region. Uh, and although the Congress has acted very aggressively uh, regarding Turkey in the last couple of years, I submit to you it should have been doing so all along for many years. Uh, and although Congress, and I would say the overall US government position regarding Turkey uh, has been sort of like long on rhetoric, but short on action. But there was one very important action that took place in 1975 through 78, which is worth repeating here today. And that is when this organization, the American Hellenic Institute was founded by then its founder, Gene Rosides. Um, we were able to impose an arms embargo because of the, Turkey's illegal violation uh, of invasion of the island of Cyprus, which violated the Foreign Assistance Act of the United States Congress. It was that principle that we used to be able to use as the catalyst to pass that legislation. Congress should not be in the business of violating its own laws and it should call out those countries who do so. Unfortunately, uh, Turkey continues to uh, divide the island a nation of, of, of Cyprus, continues to have 43,000 occupying troops to this day, and has only increased its, its, uh, its provocative actions there by virtue of sending uh, illegal ships into Cyprus's EEZ, and by also, most recently, uh, in violation of UN Security Council resolutions, uh, calling for the, re uh, the reopening of an area called Verosha, which was fenced off in 1974 in a beach town in Northeast Cyprus. Uh, we can't get into all the details, but the point is Turkey continues to be provocative there. Turkey has continued to violate Greece's territorial integrity for the better part of four decades uh, in terms of violations of its maritime borders and its, and its airspace. Just last year alone, we saw 4,300 violations of Greek airspace by American-made F-16s, which again are in violation not only of the Foreign Assistance Act, but of the Arms Export Control Act, and that these planes and these assets, which are marked US-made, cannot be used in an offensive nature. In 1995, we also saw the elimination of US grand aid to Turkey. That was another action-oriented uh, procedure by the Congress then. But we have to fast forward now a little bit in what has transpired over the course of the last couple of years to be able to create the kind of uh, situation on Capitol Hill that we see this uh, action regarding Turkey. Well, in my opinion, it's one person. And that was evangelist Pastor Brunson, who was arrested in 2016 on trumped up charges in Turkey. And then in 2018, you had three U.S. senators in the names of Tom Tillis, Gene Sheehan, and, and James Langford, who took up the cause of one Pastor Brunson. And then that was elevated to that of the President Trump's attention, and sanctions were threatened to Turkey, and ultimately Pastor Brunson was released. In my opinion, that is what started the ball rolling. Shortly after that, and his provocative nature, and in terms of his overall plan of being uh, the hegemonic personality of, of the Middle East and Eastern and Southeastern and Southeastern Mediterranean through his blue homeland policy doctrine, Mr. Erdogan decides that 
he is now going to go and purchase the S-400 missile defense systems from Russia to the tune of $2.4 billion and then put it in danger, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the operability uh, and, and, the, and compromising uh, national security interest uh, of, these, uh, of, of the U.S. and NATO as these items are not uh, op interoperable. And also because of the fact that Turkey was part of the development program of the F-35 and also uh, was uh, uh, to buy up to 100 F-35 planes. Well, the last thing you needed was to be able to have the F-35 technology uh, uh, being available to, to Russia and the S-400. So immediately, Turkey uh, uh, was violating the Counter-Americans Adversary Through Actions Act, or CATSA, and through by this action and other action, Turkey was suspended from the F-35 program. Although sanctions should be imposed on Turkey, and the Congress has called for this, the administration has refused to do so. Uh, we have seen also the Armenian Genocide Resolution, something that the Armenian community has tried for years to get on Capitol Hill passed. But yet, because of these actions and others by Turkey, we saw an overwhelming support of almost unanimous votes uh, of both chambers of the U.S. Congress in passing of those uh, particular resolutions. Another watershed uh, legislation that was, that was passed within the context of the National Defense Authorization Act in 2019 was the Eastern Mediterranean Security and Energy Partnership Act. This particular act, although its main focus was on the promotion and strengthening of the U.S.-Greece-Cyprus relationship, specifically as it relates to energy, there were elements within the context of this legislation that also asked the Secretary of State to provide to the pertinent committees on Capitol Hill, whereas by what incidences uh, in, in, in the exclusive zone of Cyprus and the southern territory of, of Greece and the Aegean Sea had been violated. Well, it didn't name Turkey by name, but there's only one country that does this, and that is Turkey. And then we saw Turkey, of course, also uh, invade Northeast Syria and create the, uh, the more problems there for our friends, the Kurds, who were instrumental in defeat of ISIS and had the potential for the resurrection of ISIS uh, to come back in full force. That was another area where it created momentum for more proliferation as it related to uh, congressional action uh, on Capitol Hill. And only recently, as in yesterday, we saw Senator Menendez uh, and six other uh, senator, uh, Democratic senators uh, introduce uh, uh, resolutions calling for Secretary Pompeo to detail Turkish human rights violations and fundamental freedoms in Turkey and how they relate also to the dispute between Armenia and Azerbaijan, including the use of American-made F-16s and the potential violations under the Arms Export Control Act, uh, which we agree that that is definitely taking place. So overall this and the entire rogue nature, nature and posture of Mr. Erdogan from Libya to Syria, to Armenia, to obviously what's going on in Greece uh, and, and Cyprus on a, on a continuing basis. This August, we saw a standoff uh, of almost 50 days in Greek uh, maritime waters where Greece lays claim and where Turkey uh, sent illegally uh, in violation of the United Nations Convention of the Law of the Sea 
a research vessel called the Oric Reese to come into survey in Greek waters and it forced the Greek uh, Navy to send its entire, practically its entire naval force there to make sure uh, that Turkey didn't, call the, didn't cross the proverbial red line, if you will. Although in September, the, the ship was removed, it now was brought back in again just a couple weeks ago through a NAFTEX, which was supposed to expire yesterday, and it continues uh, to be extended until the 27th. And so as we sit here today talking, there is a standoff uh, in the uh, Eastern Mediterranean off the coast of Costa Lorizo within six uh, plus nautical miles. The Greek and uh, Turkish naval forces are staring down each other where tensions are running high and the potential for war is, is unfortunately uh, high. And if uh, that were to happen, of course, it threatens obviously the instability of the area uh, and one that the United States, NATO, or the West can ill afford to reach uh, that particular level. So for this and for so much more, uh, it's only obvious that uh, these kind of accidents, ac actions on Capitol Hill have been uh, forthcoming. There's been, like I said, numerous resolutions, including uh, legislation calling for Turkey to be removed from, from, uh, you know, from NATO and also to reevaluate the U.S.-Turkish relationship, which we agree. Uh, we feel today Turkey is not a faithful, loyal uh, uh, member of NATO under any definition uh, of what NATO stands for. And that whole uh, relationship needs to be reevaluated. Even your own president, Daniel Pipes, has written on this uh, issue, uh, in particular, Turkey's removal from NATO. Um, so we advocate for this, and we hope the next Congress will continue in this regard to continue to evaluate and to reevaluate, rather, the whole relationship uh, with Turkey uh, and, to, and, and to try to rein in Mr. Erdogan. Appeasement should not be the guiding force regarding Mr. Erdogan, which in my opinion, unfortunately, uh, has continued to permeate uh, for many, many decades and it needs to cease and desist. Like I said, the rhetoric is good, uh, but the action is more important and much uh, needed. Uh, and to, to the point regarding appeasement, it's important to know that even under how we were trying to deal with Turkey and the S-400 issue, it's incredible, in my opinion, just incredible that you had two senators, uh, leading senator and Senator Lindsey Graham, who spoke specifically about uh, the S-400s in terms of if they were not to be used uh, operationally, they were not to be engaged operationally, that we should provide in exchange a free trade deal with Turkey. And then you had Senator John Thune from Republican from South Dakota even make the ridiculous claim where he proposed the United States should purchase the Russian S-400 missile systems to assist U.S.-Turkey relations, which, by the way, if that were to happen, then we would be in violation of the, of, of the CATS uh, legislation and, and purchasing uh, Russian-made systems. I'll leave it at that. I see my hours about, my, my minutes are about up. And I look forward uh, to any questions. Thank you so much for that. Uh, the first question in, we have quite a few. Uh, do you see any scenario where Turkish membership in NATO would be suspended? And what would be the practical ramifications of this? Well, it would seem to me that they should be suspended, you know, just by the fact that they invaded Cyprus in 1974 uh, and continue to occupy uh, Cyprus today. 
And I always made the argument, <coughs> excuse me, I always made the argument that since Turkey is a member of NATO, the 43,000 illegal occupation uh, military on, on Cyprus, you can claim that they are a NATO country, a uh, NATO, NATO army. So what do you have? You have a NATO army occupying a member of the European Union. If that isn't enough to uh, suspend Turkey uh, uh, out of NATO, then I don't know what is. I know there's no mechanism, but I believe there are elements within the Vienna Convention that do allow for some provisions potentially for the removal uh, of, uh, of, uh, of Turkey from NATO. But if they cannot be completely suspended, well, then the dealings with Turkey at all uh, levels of NATO uh, should be uh, toned down considerably. Thank you. So isn't the fear that Turkey will move further along and align with Russia and China? And how might the US isolate Turkey from doing this? Well, again, I mean, you know, the United States is two main pillars of foreign policy. It seems to be uh, Russia uh, and China, but Russia and China uh, are not just isolated within their borders of where Russia is uh, and where China is in South in Asia. Uh, both are now players, frankly, in the Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, and as such, the United States needs to actively engage itself back within the region of the Eastern Mediterranean uh, and not you know, abdicate that responsibility of this very important region. I think there are some signs <clears throat> that that's happening. Uh, look, uh, you have to gauge how important Turkey is to your interests. And sometimes you, you may just have to let go. Uh, even during the Cold War, uh, everybody was talking about what an important uh, role Turkey is playing regarding uh, the Cold War. I can come up with many arguments where they were not, including assisting the, you know, uh, so, the, the Soviet Union at that time. So somebody is an ally and somebody is a friend to you as long as they allow themselves to avail themselves of that. If they don't, and Turkey has proven time and time again where they are not, then you need to, not to say you dismiss them completely, they're still an exceptionally large country, they do occupy a geographic region, they have the second largest army in NATO, all of that is well understood. But their leadership is not taking country down that path. And ultimately, I don't think Turkey uh, and Russia uh, has any love loss there where ultimately they can work together and, and, for, and, for, and uh, on a mutual basis. They'll work with each other where they feel there are certain interests. I mean, there are opposite sides in Syria. There are opposite sides uh, on Libya. Uh, so it's a, it's a tense relationship. The China issue, uh, there's been talk about China coming in and investing into Turkey. Uh, China's looking obviously for footprints uh, into Eastern, uh, into Western Europe, uh, into the Middle East. They could view Turkey in that regard. But again, I don't think Turkey uh, is willing necessarily to completely uh, align himself uh, with these two uh, with these two countries. Understood. So you discussed ISIS briefly. Uh, what is the nature of the relation between ISIS and Turkey? Well, I'm not sure what it is today because I'm not sure to what degree you know today ISIS is is even you know a, a formidable essence uh, the way it was just a few years ago. However. There's more than enough to indicate that, unfortunately, ISIS uh, was being supported by Turkey uh, by virtue of allowing it back and forth uh, open access over its borders, by providing it uh, with, with, with medical 
uh, assistance, uh, uh, safe haven. Uh, there was even talk of uh, there were centers there, recruiting centers for ISIS within Turkey, and also uh, the so-called uh, funding of Turkey uh, through things that were going back and forth uh, that were that were able to facilitate uh, their economy. So in essence, uh, you can argue that Turkey was a supporter uh, and a founder of ISIS in some ways. Today, I don't know what it is because I just don't think ISIS is is is, uh, is what it used to be. Thank you. Uh, what do you think the outlook is for the division of Cyprus with the election of a hardliner in the north and Erdogan in Ankara? Uh, what role might the pandemic play there? Well, I'm not sure what role the pandemic itself can play there other than what it does anywhere around the world. So I wouldn't necessarily put that in any context. The numbers are relatively minor overall, but obviously the population of the island is much smaller uh, than say the 330 million we have in the United States. Uh, but certainly uh, Mr. Tartar that was just recently, uh, and I use this term loosely, but in quotes, elected as the, the Turkish uh, uh, Cypriot representative, uh, because I can't really uh, claim that these were legal elections. This is a country that's uh, not recognized by anyone other than Turkey. It's an, it's an illegal uh, entity. And therefore, uh, how can you have elections on something that's illegal? Also, the fact that you had approximately 300,000 uh, illegal settlers who are technically never eligible to quote vote uh, within the context of, of, of a Turkish Cypriot leader and of which Turkey has transferred to the island from the mainland to change the demographics of the island. You can claim that it was these individuals who potentially uh, uh, created the scenario for Mr. Tartar uh, to be the leader. But he is a hardliner. He is definitely in line, aligned with Mr. Erdogan and his policies. He believes in a two-state solution, which is totally unacceptable uh, for the final solution of Cyprus. And through him as a proxy, uh, he's been the catalyst for the illegal uh, movement to open up the, uh, uh, the Verosha uh, fenced off area that I, I spoke about it in my, in my uh, opening statement. Understood. Uh, do you see Turkey intervening militarily in Azerbaijan on the side of Armenia? I don't think they would probably do it, uh, you know, wear boots on the ground. But as we saw also in Libya, they could use proxies. Uh, so that is a, a possible scenario. Uh, I think because of the Russian element there as well, in a little bit more pronounced way than maybe even in Libya, I think they may deter them to a certain degree. But it's not necessary, to, you know, to for Turkey to you know to to military engage by providing them, you know, with uh, resources uh, in, in via military uh, hardware and funding. Uh, that in itself uh, could be uh, enough unfortunately, that Turkey might be willing to do. I, uh, I just hope, again, it's, it's an area we don't want to see uh, uh, continue to, you know, to, you know, to be explosive. Uh, peace and stability is what we need. And Turkey continuously, unfortunately, everywhere and around the region, continues to stick its finger in and to create turmoil as opposed to cry, try to create peace and stability. Everywhere they get engaged in, there's turmoil. There's no potential for peace and stability. Hmm. Do the Turkish residents of North Cyprus favor unification? 
Well, let's put it this way. First of all, we don't refer to it as North Cyprus unless you put it in quotes. We refer to it as the occupied uh, as the occupied area. Uh, I think if you were to, uh, I think that the indigenous Turkish Cypriots uh, would absolutely support reunification. Mr. Akinji, the uh, the previous leader of the Turkish Cypriot, was was unseated by Mr. Tartar in 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 this last quote election. Uh, definitely uh, was a promoter. Uh, of unifying the island. Uh, the Tur uh, Greek Cypriots and Turkish Cypriots uh, lived together in, in mixed villages uh, for many, many years. Uh, and if they were allowed under their own accord to be able to settle whatever outstanding disputes they have, I think they would be able to do it. But as long as Turkey continues to be the orchestrator of what they want on the island, those issues... What Turkey's interests are, are not the interests of the people of the Republic of Cyprus. And as long as Turkey continues to make demands to have a military presence there uh, and, and to get involved in, in, into the uh, daily machinations uh, of, the, of the Turkish Cypriots, that cannot happen. And it's, up to the, and it's up to the European Union, the international community, and led by the United States to force that action and to have Turkey, okay, stay out of uh, out of Cyprus, we will do that. That's the two, that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question. Mm. So you don't think there's any room to compromise on the control of the ocean around some of the small, the well, very small. Well, I mean, the Republic of Cyprus has said they'll be they'll be willing to speak with uh, with Turkey regarding its exclusive economic zone. At the end of the day, okay, Turkey is approximately sixty miles off the northern coast of Cyprus. And, self, and therefore, there would have to be a delimitation regarding, you know, the Turkish and Cyprus EEZ, and they're willing to do that. But how can you do that when Turkey does not recognize the Republic of Cyprus as like it doesn't exist? So, you know, so you got to first recognize and become a, you know, a country, uh, you know, of the 21st century and abiding by international law uh, before you can get to that stage. And it's important to know. That Turkey is neither a, a signatory or a ratifier of the Alclaws Treaty. Uh, they use it in the Black Sea and they try to lay claims to it where they feel is, is to their advantage, uh, but ultimately they do not recognize that islands have EEZ or islands have uh, exclusive economic zones, and that's just, uh, you know, fundamentally uh, not what Alclaws says. So what can Greek Americans and Jewish Americans do to promote our common interests with the US government? Well, we've already started to do that. Uh, we here at the American Hellenic Institute uh, with the Conference of Presidents of Major Jewish American Organizations with Brene Brith and others, and with the Order of Ahepa, the largest Greek American grassroots uh, fraternal organization, we've instituted a biannual trip to Greece, Cyprus, and Israel uh, where we've had, uh, I believe now, five such uh, trips to where we visited each country in the region, uh, where we've had discussions uh, with government leaders, uh, and to underscore the importance and premium that we pay on this relationship, uh, not only to the leaders in, you know, uh, in the region, but to come back and to promote that same message within uh, the U.S. government policy uh, establishment as well. So we are looking to cooperate in all fronts. Uh, the three countries established the relationship. We want to be there to facilitate, to strengthen it at every level we possibly can. 
and uh, it's very gratifying to see how well these three countries are, are working together. And we should add, of course, you know, Israel, uh, Egypt is an important component to this as well, and other countries in the region. So why have the various Christian churches in the U.S. not coalesced and spoken out about Turkey and about discrimination against Christians in the greater Middle East? It's a very good question. It's, it's not one that I can answer. And make no mistake about it, the Brunson thing was because of the evangelist movement. Uh, they, they, they had a major role to play in terms of uh, creating the groundswell support uh, on Capitol Hill uh, and with the administration that caused us to act. The point is, if there's enough of that, the needle can't be moved. And this was just for one person. And every person is important. Every life is important. And uh, I'm glad that Mr. Brunson, was, Pastor Brunson, was able to be released, which was so unjustifiably incarcerated. Uh, but it goes to show the power that we have at the grassroots level to be able to push, push the needle. Uh, but I can't tell you why. Uh, we, we, we can call it a collective failure on behalf of all of us who advocate for these issues that we've not been able to get more uh, cross-sectional support uh, from such institutions and such entities. So in our last minute here, can you give us a little more information as to where to find some more of your work? Well, our work is one of continuously bringing um, awareness to U.S. policymakers regarding the happenings in the region. Uh, I travel to Greece in the non-COVID period. I would travel to Greece and Cyprus anywhere between you know four to six times a year. And important to that is the defense cooperation. And we want to bring continuously awareness of the importance of the defense cooperation that exists, especially between Greece and the United States. Uh, which is at an all-time high. Uh, like I said, I'm not understating when I tell you how important the military facility at Suda Bay is. And we were the ones who, uh, who pushed for making that facility uh, awareness uh, in Washington. Uh, and I continue to visit there at least once a year. I was just there back in September. We saw uh, the investment of the United States looking now in, in, in places like Alexandrupoli, a major uh, port facility in Northeast Greece. Uh, which could be a staging area for transport into Eastern Europe, uh, for transit, for LNG and other energy uh, uh, components, including U.S. military assets. Uh, there's been an extension of the defense cooperation agreement between Greece and the United States. Uh, it continues to be on the rise, but we need to make members on Capitol Hill especially aware of it. Very few people on Capitol Hill are aware of what is happening in terms of the nuts and bolts and the nuances in the Eastern Mediterranean. Greece, in my opinion, is a formidable mini superpower within the context of the Balkans. They've got 155 F-16s, and to your audience, what does that mean? It means there's the fifth largest fleet of F-16s in the world. And it has an exceptional military, uh, and they are there to support and defend not only their sovereign territory, but always there, okay, to be called upon when needed, okay, in, in support and defense of U.S. interest, Western interest, and overall, uh, you know, uh, peace and to provide peace and stability for the region. And these are just not things that enough people are aware of. And obviously, Cyprus plays in that role as well to the best of, cap of its capabilities. And I can only imagine how much more Cyprus would be able to do to fulfill its full potential if it was whole, free, and at peace 
and now they continuously be divided now for over 46 years, which is an anathema and a disgrace, in my opinion, to, you know, to the international community that, that has allowed this to continue to happen for as long as it's happened. And, and I put that really at the doorstep also of US foreign policy that has not pushed this issue forward where it, it could have much more easily in years past. Erdogan and Turkey are much more difficult and a much more complicated uh, uh, dynamics today, but it's not to say that it can still not happen. And of course, the European Union has to also do its share as well. And in some ways it has more at its disposal through the customs union, trade, uh, and so many other things. All right, well, thank you so much. Unfortunately, we've come to the close of our webinar. Thank you again, Mr. Lerigakis, for speaking. No, thank you for the opportunity. It was a real pleasure. I appreciate it. Of course. For our viewers, please be on the lookout for our weekly webinar offerings email coming out over the weekend. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a great day. Have a good day.